Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR. Your host, David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. I am, as always, want to apologize for no episode last week. Had some personal stuff come up and was not able to record it. But we are back, and today's episode is going to be all Disney all the time because they made some big announcements with Disney Plus, which we've been or I've been anticipating for the past year. Uh, we've been waiting for this information for a while, and uh, they finally. You know, lifted lifted the curtain. Let us let us in on their plans, their secrets, their their strategies, and quite frankly, I was impressed. And I thought that they made pretty much all the right moves. And I wanted to talk about it and how everybody in their business can learn from exactly what Disney is doing with Disney Plus, whether you even make content or not. So anyways, that is going to be the focus of today's episode. So let's get right into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. So before we get into exactly what Disney is doing, I wanted to talk about content in general and how content is traditionally monetized. Basically, there are two ways to monetize content, two traditional ways, I should say. I'll get into more uh, advanced methodologies that Disney utilizes better than anyone else in a second. But uh, the two traditional ways are, uh, number one, just try to distribute it yourself and make money on it in some way. That means basically if you make something, you can try to get people to buy it uh, or you can put ads on it. Basically, try to make money yourself. Uh, in the old media world, this was pretty rare because pre-internet, it's very hard to get anybody to see your content uh, if you're not going through a major distributor. In the internet world, it is easier that you know most people can create content and upload it and try to get their own sponsors, their own advertisers. Uh, obviously, podcasters do this all the time, or lots of people have uh, subscriptions for their content, or you can even nowadays, there's lots of people who just take donations for their content, etc. So that's kind of the self-distribution route, or the more common, especially in the kind of bigger media content world, traditional media, when you think of like TV shows, movies, etc., uh, the more common is basically licensing. And licensing can take a lot of forms. Um, the most common that people think of is like after a movie has been in theaters, you know, you see it on TV all the time, you might see it on HBO, you wherever, that's licensing. Those companies are paying for that content to air it on their channel in hopes that it brings in viewers. And, uh, you know, this is the Netflix model. Obviously, Netflix has their own original content, but they also license a ton of content. And, in fact, Disney was licensing a ton of content to Netflix. And, basically, after their movies were out of theaters, after a lot of their shows were kind of off the air, they were licensing them to Netflix and still are. If you go on Netflix right now, you'll see a lot of the uh, Avengers movies and Black Panther and uh, Star Wars movies and all that. And so 
and obviously the other way movies make money is through a different form of licensing through the box office which is kind of a I wouldn't necessarily know if you would call that licensing um it kind of is I guess you're basically uh licensing the movie rights to these distributors and movie theater chains being the distributors because they own the big buildings where people go to pay to watch movies so that's I guess you could call them uh uh, licensing deals too, except big companies like Disney uh, have tons of leverage and are able to get a very high percentage of the box office revenue. That's why movie theaters charge you so much for popcorn and sodas and all that, because they don't make anything on those movie tickets. So those are the two traditional ways of making money with content. Either try to s- sell it yourself or go to someone who already has a ton of distribution and uh, have them pay you for the content. Now, uh, Disney is unique, and this brings me back to an episode of this podcast that I did, I think it was last summer, it was probably June or so. Uh, it It was last year when Netflix basically reported bad numbers and their stock dropped significantly, and I made a podcast afterwards saying, what Netflix should do in order to increase their, to continue to grow their revenues. Because right now, the only way that Netflix makes money, or I shouldn't say the only way, but the the, the largest far majority of their, uh, the largest revenue stream, the far majority of their of the money that they make comes from subscription revenue. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But I don't think that's necessarily... A good thing. It's not a bad thing, but it's also not a good thing. Um, and I'm going to get into that a little later, I guess, when I talk more about Disney Plus and why Disney has been so smart with what they're doing. But Disney is unique. And I was saying that Netflix should try to mimic them because Disney makes money in so many ways that are not just the traditional selling your content, right? Disney has the ability to sell its content on its own. That's why it's making the streaming service. But in the past, they were mostly just licensing their content. Like I said, a lot of the Disney content is on Netflix because Netflix is a major distribution channel and they're able to pay you know top dollar for Disney content and they know that a lot of people will want to, uh, a lot of their subscribers are going to be interested in the Avengers and Star Wars and all of that. But Disney obviously is not just a content company. They own Disney parks, Disney cruises, Disney hotels. Um, they own and Disney cruises and hotels are there's kind of two versions. There's like the Disney cruise that's like a Disneyland on a boat. And then there's also adult cruises that are just like regular cruises that are uh, money makers for them too. They also have a ridiculous amount of merchandise, and this is probably what they do better than anybody else. They sell so many toys, so many games. They make money on in so many different clothing items. Just think about all the times that you see someone wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt or some Disney-related thing. They make money in so many different ways. Like I said, especially through their parks and all types of methods. This is what makes Disney so special. And this is why Disney Plus makes so much sense for them. And so let's get into Disney Plus a little bit, right? So we talked about the traditional ways that companies make money. This is why I was saying that Netflix should try to actually mimic 
Disney. They should try to, especially on the merchandise front, try to merchandise the hell out of their content and make a ton more. They, the only one that I've seen them kind of be successful with is Stranger Things because that's kind of uh, the type of if you know it's the type of show that lends itself more towards uh, lots of merchandise. But even that show has kind of fallen off now in popularity. And I really haven't seen a ton of Netflix merchandising, uh, which is something I think they're majorly missing out on and could be a massive revenue stream for them. Uh, so let's talk about why it makes sense for Disney to create Disney Plus rather than to continue what they're doing right now, uh, which has been, like I said, just selling their content uh, once it's out of theaters to whoever wants to pay top dollar. In many cases, that has been Netflix. But... The reason it makes sense is because there's two things that Disney gains by having subscribers to their Disney Plus, and we're going to talk about ESPN Plus and Hulu uh, later on as well. There's two things that they gain. Number one, first-party data. When you sell the rights to a show, you only get value in one way. You get money, straight cash, which is great for most creators and most uh, companies. Their goal is just to create great content that people want to see and then sell that content off in some licensing route uh, that makes them a ton of money and can be very lucrative. You know, a great example is uh, Friends, which just recently made big headlines because I think it's the second most popular show. I think only The Office is more popular on Netflix. And basically, the uh, license expired for Netflix and a ton of users complained. And so Netflix paid $100 million to get to extend the license for Friends. And that's a perfect example of the creators of Friends, the owner, uh, the actors and all them. They don't care about building a customer relationship or getting first-party data. They just want to keep continuing continuing to milk that uh, cow as long as they can for as much money as they can uh, until people stop caring about Friends, which it doesn't look like people will because it's been over 20 years and it's still a very popular show. But... The point is that not everybody cares about first-party data and building a consumer relationship, but Disney does for the reasons that I said before, that they have so many opportunities to monetize outside of just selling their content. And not only that, they can make much more money than almost anybody can off of any single piece of uh, successful content. So the main thing that they like I said the main the main drawback of licensing content is that obviously you know you're selling it to Netflix. So Netflix gets all of the first party data. Netflix builds that direct to consumer relationship. Disney gets none other than the fact that people are just fans of their content and then they get the money, but they don't get any of the other goodies. And you have to look at it as what value is Disney extracting out of their content, right? That's the ultimate thing. How many dollars can they extract out of each piece of content that they create? And through the licensing route, they're just leaving tons of money on the table and because they have so many ways to monetize themselves. So by creating Disney Plus now, and again, I'll talk about Hulu and ESPN in a second. By creating Disney Plus, now they are acquiring that first-party data, and they are building that direct-to-consumer relationship. And in doing so, they're able to collect tons and tons of data on 
what you're interested in, and more importantly, what other ways they could potentially monetize you on. Say you're a big Avengers fan. Well, they have a new, uh, or, you know, Star Wars fan or whatever, right? They just opened their new uh, Star Wars, or not just, but they opened a couple years ago, but they have their new Star Wars attraction at Disneyland, and they have tons of Star Wars merchandise, etc. Well, with the data that they get from Disney+, Plus, and they say this person is a Star Wars fanatic, they watch all the movies, they rewatch all the movies, they watch all the side TV shows, right? I think they announced a couple different uh, side Star Wars TV shows, they watch all of those. So this person is very likely uh, to want to go to the Star Wars attraction at Disneyland. They're very likely to want to buy Star Wars clothing. Maybe even they want to uh, collect Star Wars memorabilia, figurines, whatever, right? All of those ways that they can make money besides just you buying a movie ticket or you, uh, or then, like I said, just licensing the content to Netflix. So that is the the value, the incredible value. And there was a great interview with Bob Iger, uh, the CEO of Disney, uh, after the announcement was made on uh, CNBC. It was about a 15-minute long interview. It was, it was a decent length. Uh, but he really explained exactly that. You know, he said something like, uh, I think he said that Disneyland and Disney World, etc., had 20 million visitors in the last year, I think is what he said. And that, you know, they have data on those people, but all the people, but they have hundreds of millions of people who consume Disney content that they have no idea who they are. They have no data on them. They really don't have any. Uh, direct relationship to them at all because the only way they consume the content is either through a movie theater, which is some other company, or through another streaming service like Disney, or I'm sorry, like Netflix, or, you know, they rent the content through uh, Apple or whatever, right? And so for all those reasons, it's why it makes perfect sense that they, you could arguably say, underpriced their uh, streaming service. You know, a lot of people were probably expecting it to cost maybe $10, $12 a month, similar to Amazon or to uh, Netflix, which costs 13 bucks a month and Amazon Prime. Obviously, Amazon Prime is a little different. It comes with all the free shipping and all that, uh, but that's 10 bucks a month. So they probably could have charged more, but by charging less, they're going to be able to acquire many, many, many more customers because at $7 a month, for all that Disney content, and especially when it's the only, going to be the only place where you're going to be able to get a lot of that Disney content, uh, I anticipate quite a few people uh, subscribing to this new service. So you add that low price on top of the fact that they actually already have massive distribution, right? Disney is one of the largest media companies in the world. They own several... Uh, distribution channels for advertising. They own ABC, ESPN, obviously all of their Disney Channel and all these kid networks where they are, believe me, going to be blasting this Disney Plus service uh, later on this year once it comes out in November uh, with advertising to try to get people to subscribe. And because they already own such massive distribution channels, they're not going to have nearly as high of a customer acquisition cost as, say, a Netflix or a lot of other streaming services that are trying to compete with them. So they have a low customer acquisition cost uh, with tons of distribution on top of the fact that their pricing is very fair at $7 a month. 
you add all those things up, and like I said, that means that they're going to get a ton of subscribers, and that's exactly what they want. They don't necessarily care that much about making a ton of money on the subscription revenue itself. They care about building the customer relationship and getting tons of data and being able to further monetize people for their entire lives really you know they don't care about the seven dollars a month you pay they care about getting you to go to disneyland every other year and spend hundreds of dollars if not even thousands if you're staying at a disney hotel as well or to go on a disney cruise or you know like i said just to buy uh disney merchandise at the store all types of avenues of revenue that they have that they are going to be able to grow based on getting people to subscribe to this streaming service and this is really this isn't like some revolutionary new idea this is really kind of the i like to call it the big mac strategy and it's something that uh, I think every business can learn from, and a lot of businesses implement it. But the Big Mac strategy, I call, I'm not the one who originated the Big Mac strategy, but uh, there's different names for it. But it's essentially why does McDonald's sell a, sell you a, break, a Big Mac for a dollar? They're not making money on that burger for a dollar. Maybe they're breaking even, maybe they're losing little money. I don't know exactly. But let's say they're just breaking even on that dollar Big Mac. They're not getting. They're not caring about making money on the Big Mac itself. They're using the dollar Big Mac to get you in the door. Because then once you're in the door, you buy the fries, you buy the soda, your kid's with you, and the kid really wants a milkshake, so you buy him a milkshake and some fries, and those are where they're the higher margin items. That's where they're really making the money. Uh, and they're just using that, that low price Big Mac to get you in the door. And that's what Disney's doing. Disney's Big Mac is we're only charging seven bucks a month versus Netflix, which charges thirteen bucks a month, and all these other streaming services, which are much more expensive. Uh, HBO is fifteen bucks a month. We'll see what Apple's uh, new streaming service is. I think a lot of people expect it to be somewhere around the twelve to fifteen dollar range. So by them being only seven dollars a month, that's their Big Mac. That's how they're getting people in the door. That's how they're getting that data, and then they're gonna monetize you with the fries and the shake and all that with the merchandise and getting you to go to Disneyland uh, down the road. So that's that's really the strategy that they're having here. And it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly what I was hoping to see from Disney. I thought it was going to be the best route. And obviously, Disney has a lot of very smart people there, including the CEO himself, Bob Iger. Uh, and they know exactly what they're doing. They're, they have a, a roadmap and a plan, and they've had one for a while. Uh, and they're taking their time because they know they can, because they know that they own all of this IP, all of this uh, content that no one else has access to. And that's not going to change. And that's why they've been a little slow in rolling out this service. But I think Bob Iger's reasoning was, was reasonable in that he said, we want to make sure that this is a great service, it's very high quality, and that we have all our ducks in a row and we don't rush things uh, when we launch. So let's talk about Hulu and ESPN Plus for just a second, uh, because this is kind of the other uh, little wrench in the mix. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, when Disney acquired Fox, they acquired Fox's stake in Hulu as well. And that means that now Disney is the far majority owner of Hulu. 
so basically, Disney now is going to have three streaming services. They're going to have Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for sports. So Hulu is going to have Disney's more mature content. They don't want to put that on the Disney Plus app. I get it. Um, they want to keep that kind of separate. And then the bigger thing to me is that Hulu is going to be Disney's attempt at creating its own cable bundle. Um, if you've been watching the NBA playoffs uh, like I have recently, you will notice that there are quite literally almost every commercial break, a commercial for Hulu has live sports. Uh, and they're paying tons of big NBA athletes uh, to promote this. Uh, they have Damian Lillard and Giannis Atitakumbo and all these guys who uh, they're paying big dollars, uh, top dollar to uh, advertise Hulu has live sports. And this is a big deal for Disney because the the thing that no streaming service, even Hulu, has really been able to touch or dominate is sports. And if Disney obviously owns ESPN, which is still largely the the leader in sports, obviously Fox has done a lot of catching up, and NBC a little bit as well, but Disney still remains the leader in sports. And so with that, they want to be able to offer a cable bundle. Uh, I believe right now it's $45 a month. They paid, I'm sure, quite a bit of money to HBO to have rights to Game of Thrones. So you can also watch Game of Thrones on Hulu. Uh, basically, Disney is throwing a lot of money behind uh, Hulu right now to try to grow it and be this secondary streaming service that has more mature content, has live sports, and has basically other things that they own the rights to, that they want to be able to make money off of, that they can't necessarily put on their Disney Plus service. And they're also they're also very aware of cable cutters, and they want to be able to capture a lot of those cable cutters and say, hey, listen, you're paying 100 bucks a month right now for cable with a bunch of channels you don't care about, pay 45 bucks a month for Hulu, you get a ton of uh, streaming options that are all these shows on Hulu, you're going to get a ton of original content, and on top of that, you're going to get the live sports as well. So I think that's a good offering. And then ESPN Plus is going to be more for uh, sports fanatics of niche sports who want to watch uh, niche things that aren't always on TV. Um, plus, they're going to have on demand, uh, it, or I should say, plus, all of those things are going to be on demand live wherever you go. You can access them anywhere. You don't actually have to be at your TV. Uh, and they have some original content. ESPN Plus is probably the thing I'm least excited about because I think that it's going to be a much smaller market of people that subscribe to it unless they decide to start throwing major uh, licensing or I should say major sporting events on ESPN Plus. But I don't really see them doing that because they still make a ton of money from ESPN the channel itself much more than ESPN Plus, and so I think that they're going to continue to keep a lot of their major sporting events, Monday Night Football, um, I mean, they have so many, uh, NBA, all of that on uh, ESPN, not ESPN Plus. So that's kind of the strategy with Hulu and ESPN Plus. It's going to have a lot of the content that they can't necessarily offer on Disney Plus, and they're going to be able to still capture a lot of the cable cutters and a lot of the people who want to watch sports that is not going to be available on Disney Plus or other streaming platforms like Netflix, etc. 
So really to to wrap this up, you know, I think Disney made a lot of smart moves and the biggest difference between Netflix and Disney, and by the way, I don't think Netflix is going to be losing subscribers because of this. Um, I, I don't think that they will at all. They've built so much original content themselves at this point that I don't think most people are subscribing to Netflix for the licensed content. I think most people are subscribing for all of the original content that Netflix has had, and that's been their smart move, that they've invested so much and continue to invest so much in original content because that's what they ultimately have full control over. Um, but the biggest difference between Netflix and Disney, and this is what I was saying a year ago when Netflix's stock uh, dropped due to poor numbers, um, is that, and, you know, the reason why Disney is so much more profitable than Netflix, Netflix really doesn't make much money despite the incredible amount of subscription revenue that they have. You know, it's that Disney doesn't solely rely on subscription revenue to make money. You know, they have so many different methods of monetization that they can undercut on subscription prices in order to gain more customers like they're doing with Disney+. And even though they're undercutting by almost 50% the price of Netflix versus Disney+, they're probably going to make more money. Actually, I'm confident that they will make more money per customer uh, at the same time. So they're able to offer something for a lower price while still making more money in the long term. That is why Disney is so brilliant. That is why Disney remains the king of content. That's why their stock uh, jumped over 10% on the announcement of Disney+, Plus because they continue to innovate and adapt as a massive company like very few are able to do. And they're able to really see the future and understand uh, how the content business works. They've been in the content business longer than pretty much anybody else, one of the originators of it. And they continue to dominate because, one, obviously they have such a legacy, they own so much content, and they certainly use that to their advantage. But their strategy and their ability to maneuver over the past decade, even when they've had their ups and downs, has really been impressive when you when you compare them to most large companies, which often once there's a major shift, like we saw just with the internet, I mean, just look at how many companies have died because of the internet or shrunk majorly, and Disney has been able to remain on top throughout it all, and I think that they're going to continue to grow, and in the long term, I think that they're going to be able to make a lot of money. Uh, and even potentially more money than they did in the traditional media world, which was already a cash cow. And the biggest lesson from this is to not always just look at the surface level uh, revenue that your business can drive, not just the, 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 the top level product, but to see how you can further provide value to your customers uh, in several different ways as a method of uh, making more money for yourself and especially having higher margin methods on the side that provide a lot of value and are much easier to get people to purchase and to pay you for once you have acquired them. You know, just think of the Big Mac strategy. What can you offer as the Big Mac to get people in the door? And then what can you offer as the fries and the shake and the soda that are super high profit margin for you that also still provide a lot of value and that people want and uh, or need? Well, I don't think anybody needs fries, but people definitely want them. Um, so that's kind of the, the lesson for the day. And yeah, I'm very impressed with Disney. I think they made all the right moves. 
uh, we'll see how everything goes for them. All right, and before we go, it's ad time. And by ad time, I mean talk about ourselves time. Uh, if you want to grow and make great strategic decisions like Disney, we can help you do that. And actually, I think this is a great episode to talk about first-party data um, because I think a lot of people get kind of scared away from that. They don't even, right, because Disney is very focused on this and I think it just shows why it's so important to collect first-party data and build that direct-to-consumer relationship. And the problem that we see a lot of our clients face and a lot of people that come to us face is that either A, they have a ton of data because they've been in business for a long time and they've collected a lot of data over the years, but they don't know what to do with it and how they can use it to further monetize uh, and basically generate more revenue from current customers and current people that they already have data from. Or two, they like the idea of collecting lots of data and using it to grow their business, but they really don't know how to approach that and where to get started. And uh, we can help you do both things, and especially in the e-commerce world, both through third-party channels like Amazon and through your own site, uh, through your own e-commerce site as well. So anyways, you can go to mgragency.com. We have plenty of quick forms that you can fill out for whatever you need. We help businesses grow. That's ultimately what we do in whatever way possible. So just give us a quick call. It's a th we offer free 30-minute consultations. So it costs, costs you nothing except for maybe you'll learn something or get a few ideas whether you work with us or not up to you. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy, it definitely helps us out if you leave a review. Um, I've been trying to get more reviews lately because I want to reach that 100 mark uh, on iTunes, 100 five-star reviews. We're getting there, but we're not quite there yet, so it really would help us out if you did. And uh, share this podcast with someone who you think would also enjoy or you think could apply these uh, principles and these strategies to their business. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. I will see you all next week.